Hello, my friends, and welcome to Farm Machinery Digest Radio. I am Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from New Jersey, of all places, right? If you are hearing this funny accent, then it is either Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern or Sunday at 6 p.m. No, I'm not clairvoyant. That is when my show airs exclusively on Rural Radio, Sirius XM Channel 147. I am honored that you are joining me today in the farm shop. Please know that. Before I get going, I need to give a shout out to some good folk that allowed me to put some more pushpins in my listener map. A great big Cat Swamp Road welcome goes to Peter Martinez from Tempe, Arizona. Peter read me many years ago in a car magazine and recently found my website, farmmachinerydigest.com and my Idle Chatter podcast. Thanks for looking me back up, Mr. Martinez. The next pushpin goes to Mr. Mike Pearson. He hangs his hat in Charlotte, Courthouse, Virginia. And Charlotte is my wife's name, so that's got to be a real good town. But since he is a trucker, he gets all around, so God knows where he is right now. But he keeps those big wheels in America rolling, as all truckers do. They are unsung heroes of this nation. And last but not least, Mr. George Stow, I hope I pronounced your name correctly, from Shreveport, Louisiana, who has a few IH-1086 tractors at his place. There used to be, and I hope that it is still there, a GM plant in Shreveport. I I think they used to make the S10s. I want to thank Peter, Mike, and Gene for their mark on my map, and I pray that Gene, his family, and everyone else in Louisiana are safe from the fury of Hurricane Ida. Terrible, terrible. You, I would love to have a push pin with your name on it and my map. All you need to do is email me at hotrodfarmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and let me know where you hail from. It is that simple. No big deal. Undeniably, the roots of rural America run deep in this blessed land that our Lord has entrusted to the farmers, ranchers, and country folk. You know, for the most part, we are all cut from the same cloth. Yeah, I know we have our differences, as we should. But God, family, duty, honor, and country have always been our battle cry, and especially now, during these unprecedented times in our beloved America. A verse of scripture that I cling tenaciously to is Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will guide your path. Being a farmer, I look to those words, as most in agriculture do, so often that they run the risk of being wrote. But my tears were not wrote the other day when I witnessed the damage a hailstorm did to our sweet corn crop. Undeniably, the best crop this farm would have ever seen in the 67 years my family owned it, from best to worst in a few minutes. We will harvest what we can with a grateful heart, cut the rest down, and get the cover crop in. We are blessed with another day and move on with hope. More often than not, this is next year country over on Cat Swamp Road, as I know without a doubt it is for many that are listening. To those that are struggling, may our Lord bless you with the strength and determination that can only come from looking beyond your fields and fixing your eyes on our Savior. That is my sincere prayer for all of you. But there is another storm coming in, and it has nothing to do with ethanol. 
It appears, and I may be wrong, that mixed messages are coming from the current administration in Washington, D.C., and they appear to not bode well for rural America. Well, let me clarify that, since you may be getting the wrong impression. Not bode well for America, the economy and the environment is what I should have said. But we need to go backwards here. Higher blends of ethanol are useless if you do not have flex fuel engines that could use them. That would be like a small grain guy buying a corn header for his combine. So on today's show, I will explore the foundational aspect of the ethanol debate by explaining beyond the obvious what a flex fuel vehicle is and how it operates. And if I don't get too carried away, which if you listen to the show, you know there's a good possibility, get your thinking cap ready for a toolbox test and I will answer a letter from a listener. But never forget, agriculture runs on machinery, but profits on reliability. Marvel's podcasts are now on the SiriusXM app. Get the latest in comics, TV, film, and beyond. Hear from the storytellers and what's up and coming. From This Week in Marvel, Marvel's Voices, Women of Marvel, and Marvel's Pull List. Hear new episodes of their weekly series on SiriusXM before anywhere else. Now on the SiriusXM app. Free for most subscribers. Just download it today and tap podcasts. The Rural Evening News, the only primetime newscast that matters to rural America. That report is out, caught me by surprise. Grain and livestock markets kind of going all over the place. The weather outlook for the coming days. This system is really picking up some steam. And Western sports. An incredible ride you will have to see to believe. In one jam-packed half hour. The Rural Evening News, weeknights at 7.30 Eastern. On Rural Radio, Channel 147, the Agribusiness and Western Lifestyle Channel. This Iowa Minute is brought to you by the Iowa Farm Bureau. National magazines say Des Moines is the best place to live and work. But those who live in Iowa know that small towns are fertile ground for nurturing those first seeds of entrepreneurial success. Iowa Farm Bureau's Renew Rural Iowa program encourages businesses. The Rural Vitality Fund helps them grow. Harris Vaccines of Ames became a global leader in livestock vaccines, including a new one to treat PED in swine. We developed a vaccine within just a few months, and that is really a, a quite rapid response. For a startup, to be able to raise capital is quite important, especially in early days when you have very limited revenue and you have to spend a lot of money on research and development. For an Iowa company to have access to that kind of funds is... Uh, absolutely essential. We wouldn't be in existence if it wasn't for the Iowa Farm Bureau. For more information on Renew Rural Iowa and advice to get your business started, check out RenewRuralIowa.com. With your Iowa Minute, I'm Lori Johns. Welcome back to Farm Machinery Digest Radio. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer. And as I said in the opening segment, we're going to be discussing ethanol. We're going to be, well, not, we're going to be discussing flex fuel vehicles because that's really what it's all about. Uh, we, could, we could talk about ethanol all we want. We could talk about higher blends of ethanol. The politicians and the lobbyists could duke it out with whatever they do. But really, if you don't have an understanding of a flex fuel vehicle and what it takes to create one. And that's, you know, coming from the auto industry, I've heard a lot of talks about ethanol and about flex fuel vehicles. And for the most part, some of it is correct and some of it is not. 
So on this show, you're going to get the real deal. But I want to establish up front that I am 110%. I'm 1,000% behind ethanol, higher blends of ethanol, and also of, of biodiesel. All right, so we'll establish that right now and to anyone that's, anyone that's listening. But it doesn't do anyone in this debate, or if you even want to call it a debate, because it just seems that the uh, that the the die is cast against ethanol, but hopefully God willing we could turn that around. But to not have the proper information. So what I want to go over is what how a flex fuel vehicle operates, the s the, the cost of creating a flex flex fuel vehicle vehicle for the automakers gotta get my tongue back in my mouth because i've heard you know a lot of people from the the ethanol side they say oh it only costs a couple of dollars to create a flex fuel vehicle and they blame the car makers for that and say oh it doesn't cost them anything and they really don't understand that's like saying you going out into the field and say it doesn't cost much money to to go run that that combine through that crop and harvested yeah after you bought a six hundred thousand dollar combine with an eighty thousand dollar header and and everything else so so that's a false narrative that the ethanol industry is pushing and i don't agree with that and also i i think that the ethanol industry needs to to educate the the consumer and you are a consumer even if you grow corn for an ethanol plant you are a consumer if you buy gasoline so that's what I'm going to hope to try to accomplish in the short time that I have here. So buck, buckle up, because it's going to be a, a quick ride. I am a hot rod, a drag racer. So I, we're going to leave the line hard with the wheels in the air here. All right, first of all, what I do want to, you know, if you're old enough, think back to the late 1970s and in through the Corn Belt, they used to have a product called Gasohol right and i actually liked that name and i remember it was a young man going to see going to see my sister in school in kansas city and we had a old dodge dot and i filled it up with gasohol right and to the best that i could glean and i did research and nobody really gave me much of a number it seems that today there's so much information but so much misinformation that that was that was most likely E10 to E15, and I think it was probably E10. So it was 10% ethanol, and it was 90% regular gasoline. And they called it gasohol, which is a name that I like. So anyway, now if we turn the clock back, how did ethanol get into the mainstream of fuels? Now, keep in mind, and I want to, I'm just going to go through this quickly. Keep in mind that here in New Jersey, we have been burning nothing but E10 for years, maybe 20 years, if not close to, probably at least 20 years, we've been burning E10. Because throughout the country, they have what is called boutique fuels. They don't have this with diesel fuel, but they have it with gasoline. And that's due to certain emission standards that a locale may have with that the EPA deems as a high pollution area. So our farm is only 65, 70 miles from New York City. There's 65, 70 miles from Philadelphia or in that, that corridor there. So that is a high, a high pollution area. And there's boutique, there's what they call a boutique fuel. 
And what a boutique fuel means is that it has certain, it's a certain blend, a certain chemical composition. So if you go out west and you're up in the Rocky Mountains, they have a, a boutique fuel, sort of the fuel that they sell up in, in Wyoming, in Montana is not the same, it has a little bit different mixture to it, components, what we say in, in, in the fuel business, than this fuel that you would buy in Miami, Florida. And so throughout the country, there are these many, many boutique fuels, but one of the things that came into play was that which kind of shoots all of this in the foot for all these people that are saying bad things about ethanol don't want to push the blends higher is that the epa mandates a certain level of oxygenate in the fuel and what an oxygenate does is provide additional oxygen other than that what the air that the engine is pumping in to help burn the fuel more efficiently all right we're going to leave it at that it's not a chemistry class Okay, but if anybody's a drag racer, right, you put nitrous oxide into the motor to make power, well, that's an oxygenate. So prior to bringing ethanol into the fuel stream, they used to use MTBE, which is which is methyl tertiary butyl ether as an oxygenate. It's real deadly stuff. It's 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 nasty, nasty as could be. So the thing is that when they did when they did away with with MTBE they recognized that they could blend ethanol in with gasoline and give it the same level of oxygenate. So most areas, the populated areas of the country, not the rural America, the populated areas of the country had E10 gasoline. And we burn nothing but E10 here in New Jersey. New York, New Jersey, nothing but E10. You can't get anything else, all right? No choice but E10. Different octane blends, right? Regular, mid-grade, and premium. So now that's fine. Our cars run beautifully. Our engines run beautifully. No problem with my small engines, all that. And one day I'm going to do a, do a show on that, but about that, how they're demonizing ethanol with small engines. And I know somebody was listening probably say, I had a hot rod farmers full of it because I had a problem with my chainsaw or I had a problem with my lawnmower or my lawn tractor. Well, let me put say this to you, all right, respectfully. But I'm from New Jersey, so I'm a straight shooter, all right? If you leave fuel in something, even years ago, it used to turn to varnish. So, you know, you have to have fresh fuel. You can't leave fuel in a, in a carburetor, which has an open bowl vent or in a gas can for two years and not have something happen to it. All right. So it's leaving like that's like leaving grain in a bin and not controlling the temperature to humidity. But this is not what the show is about. So the thing is that a vehicle, an engine could run E10 with no problem. Right now, if we want to go to higher blends of ethanol, what do we have to do? Well, the the vehicle has, or the engine, I should say, not the vehicle, the engine has to be able to accept that. Now, how do they accept that? Well, they accept it with a with two ways you can accept that. All right, number one, you could modify the engine or the vehicle so that it can run properly with, with let's say, E85. So we're going to go from E10 to E85, right, the extreme range. E85 with no problem. Yes, you would change the fuel delivery system, not the system you would change on a modern vehicle, the size of the injector, the calibration, maybe some stuff with the fuel lines. There's a myth that says ethanol in gasoline is corrosive. Ethanol itself is not corrosive. Methanol, which is made from, which I use in drag, 
drag racing, a methanol engine, uh, we call it an alcohol engine, that's made from either natural gas or wood, that is very corrosive. Ethanol is not corrosive. Ethanol acts like as the ability to wick in moisture more than E0, which is just pure gasoline, but it's not corrosive. It's the moisture that it wicks in. So it's like saying that you have a sponge, you have a dry sponge, and now you put a wet sponge on a piece of paper or on a piece of wood, and you said the wood rotted. Well, it's not the sponge didn't make it rot, it's because the sponge wicked in moisture. So that's the story with ethanol. But anyway, it's it's not a big deal, trust me. It's not a big deal whatsoever. It's a witching point that the that the people against it, excuse me, talk about. So if you wanna have, if you, back in the old days with gas or hole, you put gas or hole in and everything was fine. So the thing is, if you want to go to higher blends, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, up to E85, 85%. So you either have to have an engine. It's not It's not even the engine. It's the fuel delivery system and the tuning, what we call a calibration of the engine, to be able to accept that and run properly. Or you need to have a system that is able to adapt to what is going on. So the concept of a flex fuel, flexible fuel, meaning it could take any type of ethanol gasoline mix. It doesn't mean you could put diesel fuel in. It could take any type of ethanol, any ratio of ethanol and run fine. So what happens is two things need to happen to run higher levels of ethanol successfully in an engine. All right. And the first thing you need to recognize is that ethanol has different combustion characteristics than gas, than E0, pure gasoline, regardless of the octane level. Because remember, octane is only the fuel's ability to resist combustion through pressure and heat and wait for the arcing of the spark plug. So now, ethanol has less energy content than gasoline. All right. And, you know, that's a fact. But I mean, that's a fact. It doesn't give it a bad eye. It has less energy content than gasoline, all right, and also has a a faster burn speed. So those two things two things come into play. So in essence, to produce the same power and get the same results from an engine, you need to administer a richer air fuel ratio, which is how many parts of air to one part of fuel, right, with an ethanol blend than you would with a pure gasoline blend. So what to the car manufacturers, what they need to do is they need to have a different calibration for when the engine is seeing higher levels of ethanol. All right, makes sense. So now, so that's the one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is that ethanol burns faster in the combustion chamber than, so I shouldn't say it burns fast, that's wrong. The flame propagates across the bore quicker with ethanol in the gasoline, different levels, and the more ethanol has the quicker it burns than it does with pure gasoline. So that means the ignition timing needs to be altered. All right, so those are the two main things. And then the third part of ethanol is that the latent heat of vaporization, so with how much heat can it absorb as it changes from a liquid to a to a gaseous state of vaporization fuel is three times that of regular gasoline. So what happens is that ethanol-based fuels, I mean, E10 really doesn't change much, but ethanol-based fuels, all right, the higher the ethanol content, like E85, is going to have a cooler 
combustion it's going to it's going to take more heat out of the combustion chamber which is a plus and it's a minus but none of this is insurmountable all right and the other thing about ethanol it doesn't like the cold weather it's going to be uh, it's going to require a much richer mixture to get it going on a on a montana morning at 30 below than it would with pure gasoline then again none of this is insurmountable the problem that comes up is that how do you determine how much ethanol is in the gasoline? Because you could have a tank of E0, your wife fills up the car and puts E10, then your son fills up the car, puts E85. All right, so there's, so there's two ways of determining this on a flex fuel vehicle. And the two ways are to either have what they call a, 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 an ethanol content or a, or a fuel composition sensor, and that sits on the fuel rail usually and it's a sensor that measures the amount of ethanol content in the gasoline because like i say you could put e0 e15 e85 all right if we only had e85 there's none of this would be an issue it's the it's the going say well i want to raise corn i want to raise soybeans i want to raise sunflowers i want to do this i want to do that so when you're mixing it all up that's where the problem comes about all right and so you could either have a composition sensor or you could have what they call a it's uh, i don't want to tell you if it's going to confuse you virtual ve map but what it basically does is that it looks at the fuel gauge believe it or not and when it sees the fuel gauge increase so you had a half a tank and now it's a full tank a half and when it's going down that's not a problem it's when it's going up is a problem is that you put fuel in what it basically does it looks at the oxygen sensor for the air fuel ratio and does a calculation based upon what the pulse width of the injector was prior to you fueling it to with the pulse width and to and the air fuel ratio now so there's two different ways it could look at it i personally like the fuel composition sensor the best but the um but the other way is fine so the take-home message here is that ethanol is an excellent fuel the way the system works the expense for the car manufacturer is in the calibration the tuning there's a little expense in the sensor if it has a composition sensor and 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 but if it doesn't have a composition sensor if it's using a virtual ve table then the expense is in the tuning the calibration once that's in there that's a one-time expense all right the it had the ethanol has a little bit different characteristics it's going to change the timing it's going to change the injector pulse width it's no big deal they may they, they may modify the fuel line slightly but the take-home message here is that we as farmers we as rural america we as ranchers we need to be able to we need to go with confidence and know that a flex fuel vehicle should be on our list of potential buying options if it's available but we need to understand what goes on and how simple it is once you get past that calibration how simple it is to bring flex fuel and higher levels of ethanol to the country to the vehicles throughout the country all year long 12 months out of the uh, 12 months out of the year Surrey
SiriusXM's Rural Radio is your guide to the agricultural markets. I'm John Jenkinson. It's all about the rural lifestyle and the ag industry. It's not just farming. Your money. Hi, this is Christina Loren with the Market Day Report. Our coverage of news, weather, and the commodity markets targeted to rural America. Your information. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Darren and I host the Ag DHD Radio Show. Open up the farm and the challenges we face. You can learn how to do it for yourself. Rural Radio, Sirius XM 147, or listen on the Sirius XM app. Hi, this is Mike Adams, host of Adams on Agriculture. Heard weekday mornings from 6 to 7 Eastern Time right here on Rural Radio. Each day, you'll hear from those making and covering the news important to rural America. Topics such as markets, ag policy, trade, and rural health care. And you'll hear from the ag and political leaders about the pressing issues of the day, as well as their implication on the future of agriculture. So join me here on Rural Radio each weekday morning from 6 to 7 Eastern Time for AOA, Adams on Agriculture. We know you love rodeo as much as we do. And now with the Cowboy Channel Plus app, there's a whole lot more to love. So whether you're listening to live rodeo action from across the country, browsing the archive to catch up on past events, or following along while you listen on the radio, we want to hear about it. Shoot an email to Patrick at RFDTV.com to let Rural Media Group founder and president Patrick Gotch know how you are using the Cowboy Channel Plus. Don't have it yet? Sign up at CowboyChannelPlus.com today. In the field, on the farm, or in the saddle, we're right there with you in your pocket, on your phone, and everywhere you go. RFD TV Now. Current ag reports, geo-targeted weather, live streaming 24-7, and our full collection of shows you love at the tip of your finger. At less than $10 a month, it's the cheapest tool on the farm. Download the app today and start watching RFD TV Now. Alrighty, guys, I'm going to be fast. Motor Mouth did it again, went way too long, and I didn't even cover one scratch the iota of what I wanted to talk about with ethanol, but I got some facts to you. So this is the first time in the history of the show. No toolbox test, no reader's letter. We'll pick that up next week, I promise. But I want to finish on this ethanol deal because I think it's very, very important. And, you know, even though I live in New Jersey, I travel throughout the country, and I, I go, I take back roads, I go into small towns. Those are my people, rural America, the farmers, the ranches, the small towns, the factory workers, those are the people that I that I connect with. But so many times, and it's disappointed me, is that I go into a gas station, has different blends of, of ethanol and an and E0 in it, and then I would talk to people, and they would de- be demonizing ethanol blends of gasoline. And we need to stop doing that in this industry. You go to National Corn Growers Association, you go to those people, they talk about the virtues of ethanol, but we need to be able to go to the pump and we need to be able to use that fuel with confidence, not only in our flex fuel vehicles, all right, if we have a non-flex fuel vehicle, we could use E10, we could use E15, we could even use E20. All right, but the thing is that we don't, we can't be going into town and going and buying a, a, a ethanol bust or something to put into your lawnmower engine or your chainsaw or on your seed tender. We need to be able to support that fuel. But I want you to support, and you can tell I'm revved up here. I, I want you to support that fuel with confidence based on facts, not because you're a farmer or rancher or live in rural America. If we don't want to buy the fuel that we want, the EPA and the government to mandate on the rest of the people, on the rest of the country, not the people, then our story is, is, is we, we lose everything here. We lose it all. 
And this is a different episode of this show because I'm talking about this and it's and it's educational. But keep in mind that if you have, and it's important for you to understand what, if you have a flex fuel vehicle, that it's important for you to understand whether it has a fuel composition sensor or not. Because if it doesn't have a fuel composition sensor and then you refuel it in the wintertime, you have to drive it a few miles for that virtual VE map to see that fuel. A quick story, a guy I know went to the airport in South Dakota filled the truck up with e85 but he had e0 in it before left it there for a week went on vacation came back it was winter time 10 below zero it wouldn't start because it didn't use a fuel composition sensor it used a virtual ve map so whenever you put fuel in in the winter and you're going to go from a low grade of ethanol to a higher grade please drive that vehicle a few miles so it could recognize that it'll you'll come back it'll start fine it'll do everything listen i want to thank you so much for tuning in i'm almost out of time now and i want you to know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher the ethanol industry the bio industry biofuel biodiesel and my beloved beloved america you have a blessed week i'll catch you next time bye bye this is mark oppold with an american agriculture history minute brought to you by Cantera ag capital financing american agriculture nationwide with loans exclusively designed for farmers and ranchers Cantera ag c-o-n-t-e-r-r-a ag.com well it should come as no surprise that it didn't take long for american farm families to begin competition to see who had the biggest or best produce or livestock which gave way to the state fair New York claims the prize of having the first state fair in 1841. Michigan followed in 1849. The state of Texas boasts the most visitors each year, followed very closely by the Minnesota State Fair. The Iowa State Fair holds the distinction of having a novel written about it and three movies made about it. That's today's American Agriculture History Minute. I'm Mark Oppold. Farmers and ranchers out there are still out doing their jobs trying to provide food and fiber and shelter uh, for the people out there in the state and this country and the world. Uh, uh, just uh, urge everybody to take the, you know, the precautions that we need to in order to uh, uh, keep everything going in the right direction. And, and me and Huck are just going to keep doing what we're doing and, and raising cattle and uh, just keeping our family going in the right direction. And uh, we're just going to ask you to continue to pray for our leaders and our, our the country, our president, and our, our senators and congressmen as they make tough decisions. Uh, but the main thing is, is we just got to remember just to keep uh, keep going and uh, keep doing what we've been doing and even take a little time out to go fishing maybe every now and then. Huck, what do you think? I think that's a pretty good idea. RFD TV is proud to feature videos like this. Please keep them coming on social media using the hashtag still farming. And from all of us, thank you.